Welcome to Conversations with All of Us, the show that explores the evolving world of health research and the role we can have in creating a healthier future for generations to come. I'm your host, Cheryl McLeod, Community Engagement and Communications Manager for All of Us New England at Boston Medical Center. Today, we're talking about how an individual's personal circumstances impact their health. Joining me are Dr. Cheryl Clark, a hospitalist in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital and principal investigator for all of us New England. Also joining me is Dr. Elizabeth Sweet, Associate Professor of Anthropology at UMass Boston. Welcome. We all have different life experiences and live in different places with different people. Our genes are not our destiny. They are not the only factors that affect our health. Our lifestyle and environment also have an impact. So here today to discuss with us the social, environmental, and cultural factors that affect our health are Dr. Cheryl Clark and Dr. Elizabeth Sweet. Elizabeth Sweet is a bicultural anthropologist and social epidemiologist. She is associate professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. She studies social determinants of health and most recently how being in debt impacts our mental and physical health. Dr. Cheryl Clark is a clinician, a researcher, and educator at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. She's also the associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Clark serves as the Associate Chief of the Division of General Internal Medicine and Primary Care. She has dedicated her career to the connection between the social environment and disease risks, including topics such as safety in neighborhoods and stressors due to a legacy of structural racism in the U.S. So let's dive in. Thank you for joining us today. Dr. Sweet, you're a social scientist. Could you explain what social science is and why you wanted to focus your research on this area? Yeah, so social science, it's really pretty broad. Social scientists study really everything about the complex social world that we live in. And we try to do it, of course, in a way that's scientific. So we try to be as objective as we can. We try to use rigorous methods. And for me, I actually exist in a little bit of a funny place because you know, we think of the social sciences as being sort of like in contrast to the natural sciences. Um, And what I do really sits right in between the two. So I'm a biocultural anthropologist, which is just sort of a, a complicated way of saying that I study how the social and cultural world intersects with our biology. Uh, And I do that primarily by studying things like social determinants of health and really trying to understand how this complex social world and everything about how we interact in it and all of the things out there in it um, that can impact us, including things like inequities and social injustices can impact our biology. And and I do that primarily by looking at things like health outcomes and disease. Could you explain to me what kind of benefits or questions social science research might be able to answer and how would it affect communities and everyday people? Well, I'll give you an example. So in the research I've been doing most recently, I've been looking at uh, financial debt and how it can impact our health and how we feel, our mental health, our physical health, our stress. And, you know, I can say this was motivated a lot by my own experience, right? Like coming out of graduate school and thinking, you know, wow, I've spent all this time studying things like 
socioeconomic status uh, and how that can can impact health and thinking this is part of my socioeconomic status i have all this debt and you know how many years is this taking off of my life and starting to look into the the literature on it and realizing that there wasn't actually very much research on it so there was this big kind of hole and the more i started reading about debt more generally thinking there are some real ways in which this bumps up against social justice and racial discrimination issues. Um, there are very real ways in which credit is extended to people in ways that are discriminatory. People who live in low-income communities or lower income themselves, racial or ethnic minorities have a harder time obtaining loans, uh, are offered less favorable terms on loans, higher interest rates, um, higher fees, things like that. You know, there are all kinds of issues around discrimination when it comes to debt, and that hadn't really been researched at all. And so, you know, one of my big motivations in doing this work was to say, you know, here's an area where there's very real immediate policy implications of something that could kind of immediately go back and, and benefit communities in terms of understanding what are some of the specific things about the way the credit and lending and debt industries work that are especially stressful for us and, and toxic for us. And, you know, that can be really, really powerful. Health, biology, that's really powerful stuff, right? Like we can say, um, okay, discriminatory lending is wrong from a moral perspective. Um, but when we can add to that and say, not only that, but it is increasing somebody's chances of having a heart attack, that really speaks and so that's, I think, one way that it can be really beneficial. So it's almost like your research is sort of proving what everybody knows so that people have proof so they can make changes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, things things that we kind of know implicitly, like let's actually quantify it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's actually get mm -hmm. some hard data on this so that, number one, we just understand it better. We understand mm -hmm. some of the things that put us at risk for being stressed out or having heart disease. But then that let's also understand it so that, you know, again, we can make some specific policy changes. And, you know, and I've been really fortunate to be able to work with some people who are involved in that policy world around consumer protection. And, you know, they are very excited to get this kind of data because it really helps them make a stronger case for trying to protect consumers and trying to protect people who, who are borrowing money. Thank you so much. Dr. Clark, you've spent the majority of your career focusing on the connection between our social environment and disease risks, otherwise known as social determinants of health. Could you explain what are the social determinants of health and how they can impact someone's health? Thank you so much for having me. And I'm just really excited to have the opportunity to have this conversation. It's so important. And as we think about this term, you know, social determinants of health, now, first, I'll give you a technical definition from the World Health Organization. Uh, it defines social determinants of health as the conditions, right? Where we're born, where we grow, where we work and we live and age. You know, these really real world forces, but also the broader systems that shape conditions of daily life, right? And that's important. It acknowledges that the things that influence our health and our well-being, it's more than just the medical care we receive, and it's more than just the personal choices that we make. It says that our health is influenced by 
these really big picture issues like economic policies or even things that are local and close to home, like our relationships, the neighborhoods that we live in. So I'll give you an example. You know, during the COVID pandemic, we learned a lot about what it feels like to be isolated and feel lonely. But even before that, prior to the pandemic, researchers understood, I think, that feeling lonely and feeling isolated does shape our risk of disease. And the National Academy of Medicine and Sciences quotes a study that shows that as we approach middle age, you know, for example, social isolation, so feeling lonely, it's associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Our Surgeon General, for example, in the United States has written about this, and it's an opportunity for us to improve our health by improving our relationships um, and how we relate to each other. I'll give you a second example as well. Also, over the past three years um, or so, we've talked about and learned a lot about this concept structural racism and discrimination. But even prior to the pandemic, we also learned that these feelings that we have, we see it. And when we feel that we are mistreated, when we feel that sense of discrimination, it's just as Elizabeth said earlier, it kind of triggers this biological response. You can feel it in the body and you can also measure it. There are factors like inflammation, many people may have heard of, that it can lead that pathway toward heart disease and other diseases. And these are hard issues, they're tough issues, and we don't shy away from them in all of us. And I think the reason that we have to look at this is that there's good news there. All of these issues are things that we can actually change. So we can act to change issues like our isolation, our loneliness. We can change the way that we treat each other to improve health. So that's why I think these issues are important to study and social determinants are important to address. Dr. Sweet. How do the social determinants of health relate to social science and the work that you're doing? Thank you for the question. And Cheryl, that was just really, really great what you just said. (laughs) And, you know, kind of building on what Cheryl was talking about, I think with respect to thinking about the way these various things that we encounter out in the world impact us in terms of kind of how they, they make us feel, there are certain ways in which the social sciences can help to put a spotlight on that in a way that, again, the the quote unquote hard sciences uh, can't do (laughs) uh, in the same way. Um, And some of that comes from the kinds of methods that we use. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, this, this idea of kind of quantifying things versus, versus more qualitative data. If we think of qualitative as, as just, describing something, using words to describe something uh, without attaching a number to it, right? One of the things that I've tried to do in my research is use a mix of those methods. So use qualitative and use quantitative. And I feel like that is one of the things that helps social science really make a valuable contribution (laughs) to understanding health. As one quick example, again, in, in my research, I sat down and and talked to people about their experiences with debt. I didn't just ask them, how much debt do you have? Uh, We had conversations about it. And in the course of those conversations, one of the things that came across was the way people who were living with debt, the way they talked about it really went far beyond just the idea of stress. Uh, they were not just stressed. They were feeling 
like failures as people. They were talking about this sense of shame, this internalization of feeling like a bad person uh, in ways that just indicated to me, this is not just about stress. This is about this kind of total you know, insult to the sense of self. <laughs> And that qualitative data and having the words that people were using really helped to, number one, shed light on the quantitative data that we had to contextualize the experience. You know, when we see this number that says they have higher stress, this is what it means, right? But also we were able to say, you know, I wonder if this is, you know, this intense feeling of kind of shame is part of what's driving what we're seeing with with the biology and we were able to to sort of show that that it wasn't just that people who had particular kinds of debt were more stressed out and had higher blood pressure and and other adverse health outcomes um, but it was in particular the people who felt this way who felt shame and a sense of failure around their indebtedness who particularly had um, poor health. And, you know, and again, I think that really speaks to just understanding the situation better um, and, and tells us that we need to, to do a better job of kind of getting at that and addressing that um, sort of the way debt is treated socially and how that becomes internalized. And, and there's a particular kind of support that needs to be provided to people who are feeling this way. And I think this, I think using those kinds of social science methods helped to bring that out in the, in the research. You know, this is why participating in research is so important because it really does affect and touch so many aspects of our lives. So Dr. Clark, I was thinking, I happen to know the All of Us Research Program surveyed their participants on the social determinants of health. Could you give an example of the range of kind of questions that you would ask participants and, and the thought behind building the test so that researchers could do what to help who? Thank you so much for, for asking the question. And you know, I was very honored to be one of the chairs of the group that helped to develop this survey um, within all of us, questions that we asked participants in all of us. And what I would say is the survey just addresses issues that are about real life. They're about questions that ask you about your experience in your neighborhood, Many of the things that um, we're experiencing, as Elizabeth mentioned, that, you know, many of us, you know, we're doing just fine. But, you know, some of us are having uh, difficulties. You know, some of us are experiencing these kinds of issues like affording food. And scientists need to know about that. We need to really understand what all the influences are around health. And so one important part of the program is making sure that we've asked the questions that really do shed light on how we um, how we really do live our lives. And so I think that's an important part of it. Dr. Clark, I would love it if you could talk a little bit about the research you've conducted using all of us data or research that you've heard about that's being conducted. Absolutely. Part of what we needed to know as we looked at the, uh, the information that we collect in all of us is whether we really did reach all of us. You know, it's people, we come in all different shapes and sizes, and we wanted to know um, whether we uh, really reached out to a broad diversity of people. And so uh, my group mapped, literally um, looked at a map of the United States, 
and tried to understand the data that people were giving us on their heights and their weights and certain thresholds and ratios of height and weight across the entire United States to see whether we really did bring in people into the program who have different sizes and weights. And we found that our estimates of weight are actually pretty close to what you see in some of the national surveys on uh, height and weight. And it's also pretty similar to the information that you see at the state level when you look at national data. So looking at this and conducting the study gave us some comfort and reassurance that so far, all of us does seem to be connecting with a diverse group of people. And that's really important to make sure that the information that comes out of all of us is relevant to a broad group of people. I'll open this question to both of you. How could a social scientist use all of us data? If you go to databrowser.researchallofus.org, and we can uh, make this available to those of you who are listening to the podcast, anyone, whether you consider yourself a scientist, whether you're just regular people, you can go to the website for all of us and look at the data. You can get a sense of the sort of aggregate data. So you can't look at personal information, but you can get a sense of the kinds of questions that all of us asks. And those researchers and those who have gone through specialized training so that they can use private information appropriately, safely, and securely can also apply through their institutions to get access to this information. And so far, there are more than 4,000 studies that are ongoing. And so many people have begun to make really good use of all of this information, but it's there for everyone. At a very large level, we can go in and uh, look at the big picture information. And then those of us who have specialized training to keep the data safe are able to, to look at it in more granular detail. I'll just say, I mean, I, I think it is so fantastic to have a resource like this. You know, there are a lot of social scientists out there, whether it's in anthropology like me or sociology or political science or economics across a huge spectrum who are interested in in these kinds of issues, you know, social determinants of health. How do these things intersect? Who would be thrilled to know about this data, to be able to work with this data. And the other thing that is so valuable about it is a lot of us are training students who are so passionate about this, uh, who want to go into public health, who want to get some research experience, who would, again, love to learn about, be involved with exactly this kind of thing, um, learn to work with this data to answer some of the burning questions that they have. So it's just a, it's a fantastic resource. So I'm going to ask this final question and ask that each of you take a turn in responding. Uh, starting with you, Dr. Clark, what do you hope our listeners take away from this conversation today? Because this has been, it's pretty powerful stuff. And I'm thinking, thinking about such determinants of health, it could be pretty triggering um, to even answer your surveys, I would imagine. What do you hope people will take away from this conversation? And then Dr. Sweet, I'll let you reply. What I hope that people take away is that science really is changing. And it's not this idea anymore of something that's done to you or done at you, that science is really evolving, right? So that the information is done with us. It's evolving to the point where we really are trying to understand real life, where we're trying to understand health in ways that are relevant to the way that we live. 
as I said earlier, you know, it is tough stuff. And so we care about our participants. And one important part of the program is that if you participate and answer questions, the program has put together resources to help us learn more about how we can address some of the issues that we're experiencing. You know, we talked a little bit about food insecurity, and that's the idea that um, we do have trouble sometimes making ends meet and getting to the end of the month and being able to afford food. There are resources across the country to help us bridge some of those gaps, and the program has been able to compile those resources. We want to understand the science. We want to see the research happen, but we also care about people and we want to see our participants be well and do well. So I think part of what I want our listeners to take away from this conversation is that the paradigm is really shifting. And by that, I mean that science is really changing so that it embraces us and it really is trying to promote health. And that's one of the uh, things that makes me so excited to participate in the program. Dr. Sweet, what do you hope people will take away from this conversation today? It's a great question. Um, and Cheryl, you said it so well. I guess I hope they take away a sense of community and solidarity. You know, as Cheryl is saying, we are doing this work because we care. <laughs> And we want to work with people. We do not want to be the scientists who just come in and extract data and leave. We want this to be an ongoing participation. And the other thing that I hope people get from the conversation is a sense of power, a sense of empowerment. Um, as we were talking about earlier, data is powerful, right? Knowledge is power. And we need everybody to come together here to help us generate this knowledge in the best way possible. And then we can make amazing things happen with it. Thank you for listening to Conversations with All of Us. I'm your host, Cheryl McLeod. And thank you to our guest, Dr. Clark and Dr. Sweet for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this discussion on social science and the social determinants of health. In the next episode, we'll discuss the importance of trust in health research and healthcare. That's all for this episode, folks. We'll see you next time. Conversations with All of Us is brought to you by the All of Us Research Program in New England. All of Us is an initiative from the National Institutes of Health, Mass General Brigham, a leading integrated healthcare system in New England, and Boston Medical Center, an academic medical center with a deep commitment to clinical excellence and health equity, are working together with the All of Us Research Program to help researchers understand more about why people get sick or stay healthy. Medical research hasn't always included everyone. That is why medical research has gender, racial, and age gaps. The All of Us Research Program is working with Mass General Brigham and Boston Medical Center to change this, and you can help us close these gaps and receive $25 when you complete the steps to enroll. So join all of us today. To learn more, call 617-768-8300 or visit joinallofus.org forward slash podcast NE. Are you already a participant in the All of Us Research Program? By completing your surveys and other new activities, you may be contributing to advancing medical research that works for all of us. So stay connected. Log into your portal today by visiting joinallofus.org or use the Navy Blue All of Us app to complete new surveys today. For help, call 617-768-8300. That's 617-768-8300. 
8300. And thank you for being part of the All of Us Research Program.